My name is... James is for tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him. Welcome back to Kill James Bond. I am Alice Caldwell Kelly. Names is for Tombstones, honky. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the line. I was like, I'm going to do this as a bit. And I completely. Names is for Tombstones, baby. <laughs> Take this honky out in the alley and ice it. Ice this mother trucker. That's a lot of ice. <laughs> Sorry, your name, please, <laughs> for the record. Alice Caldwell Kelly. Uh, joining me are Abigail Thorne and Devon, and Hi. special guest Christopher Caldwell Kelly. I got my husband because uh, I I wanted him to talk about the racist movie. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Chris? Uh, the racist movie, as if there's only one. Although this <laughs> is the most racist movie. Yes, I call this the racist movie in a franchise that like contains. Now, what's the plan for me? First, you become a Japanese. <laughs> it's more racist than that. It treats its subject matter more with more sensitivity in You Only Live Twice than this fucking movie. Yeah, yeah, it does. That is literally true. We're talking about Live and Let Die, Roger Moore's first Bond movie. And my favorite thing that I've learned about this movie, just to start us off, is the fact that they tried to get Sean Connery back Fuck for off. it. Again! How old was he looking in Diamonds Are Forever? He was like, this is too racist, I can't do this. They offered him $5 million, and $5 million in 1973 is like $30 million now. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too old, I, I, I can't do this, you have to get someone else. Mm. I, for one, think we were robbed. I think we were robbed of flabby, sort of 60s... Sean Connery just sort of waddling around, just like flipping people through tables and stuff. I mean, the racism would almost have been more understandable from an older man because mm. it's like, oh, he's from another time. Like they could have done something with it, but no. Uh, oh, new, new year, new Bond, and it's Roger Moore, the the man who, in his autobiography, said that he had three expressions when he played Bond: left eyebrow raised, right eyebrow raised, and bitten by jaws. I hate the Roger Moore. I hate him with my life. I will see him destroyed. Oh. You, you don't like Tory Gavin James Bond? It's so bad. I was so mad throughout the entire movie. <laughs> I hate this fucking guy. Yeah. yeah. I genuinely. But we'll, mm. we'll get into it. I mean, first of all, we have to start with a little sort of the preamble before the, the opening credits, which consists of the only scene in this movie that anyone remembers after a while. We get a couple of people being killed, but like one of them gets killed in a New Orleans jazz funeral. Mm. He's watching a restaurant called Filet Soul, and the jazz funeral goes past him, and he goes, Whose uh, funeral is it? Yours. <laughs> Just stabs him. <laughs> They mm-hmm. bundle him into the coffin, and then the second line goes wild. It's like, I don't know, striking. Yeah. 
I was a little like, wow, that's a really subdued jazz funeral till they stabbed him. Like, oh, there they go. Although that <laughs> second line was really off sync. And usually second lines are just completely on beat. And normally the will second line anywhere. My great aunt led a second line through a pool using a paper napkin for a handkerchief. It started to dissolve. She rolled out the other side. This one was a little kind of subdued. Relaxed. Mm. And there's like 40 people in this funeral oh, yeah. cortege oh, yeah. as well. Like, they're all in on this. It's a big conspiracy. This is a theme yeah. that will oh, return. Yeah. Yes, a- absolutely. This is a major theme. Every black person in America is in on this textually. It's very strange. Yes. Except yes. one guy. <laughs> Except one guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but we get our opening our opening credits, which has some more like nudity and women turning into skulls, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then we arrive in Bond's apartment, which still looks like shit. Oh, it doesn't look like shit. He, he lives in like a fucking Dracula ass house now. He's got like a <laughs> fireplace and like big clocks and portraits and stuff. He he looks like a fucking vampire. <laughs> Except for like the big seventies copper chicken he had on the wall, which like really brought me mm. out of it. Oh, we'll get into the seventies decor in this because he's in bed with this Italian agent who he has seduced, and then M and Money Penny come and wake him up early in the morning to brief him on his next thing. And we have this sort of like household comedy where he's trying to keep M out of the bedroom where there's this naked girl. He invites him into his kitchen, which is the most 70s room I've seen in my life, and makes him a, a frothy coffee. He makes him a cappuccino <laughs> with this incredible new piece of technology, the cappuccino machine. And it's just like... It's a really strange scene. Like Time marches on because he makes him a coffee with what would now be a sort of fairly normal coffee machine, but M is incredulous at it and also he's like trying to hide from his boss the fact that he has a girl in his bed which is like because at the time of course it would be sort of scandalous for for an mi6 agent to be like shagging but now mm. it's just like oh well you know if your boss will arrive at your house in the middle of the night then what are, what are they going to expect you know yeah and yeah. obviously the the one thing that M's character and Moneypenny know about Bond is that he does not mm. fuck. <laughs> He's famously not doing any of that shit. He makes M the worst cup of coffee I've ever seen in my fucking life. Mm. Oh, it's spilled all over the fucking gaff. <laughs> it's like half of it's in the saucer. It somehow already has milk in it. It's just Oh, God. We should sort of take the second two, because we mentioned one of the methods through which someone is killed. In, in the pre credit scene, but there are three specifically. Yeah, the one anyone remembers. And they are the jazz funeral. Yeah. And then there's a man at the UN who dies from having his headphones feedback too hard. And then... <laughs> yeah, they, they, they play a hundred gecks at him and he dies. The podcaster's death. Absolutely. <laughs> Never turn that up to 11. Poor bugger. Um, and then there was another guy who gets voodooed is the best way I can describe mm-hmm. that. He oh, gets yeah, stroked yeah, yeah. with a very plastic snake and then dies. And it's weird, man. Yeah, he's like fully tied up in like an audience of black people as the only white person there, and they're doing voodoo on him, and then one of them has a snake bite him and he dies. There's a guy in a weird goat hat for some That's reason, true. which really confused me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is that not a thing? Are there not goat hats in voodoo? I don't think typically a hook god wears a goat hat, but... You're just feeling like, yeah, I've got this goat, may as well. Hey, but if you've got a goat hat, and you're mm. like, ah, this is going to round out basically yeah. any look, I think. 
This is Bond's new job is investigate these three deaths. Because they were all MI6 <clears throat> guys, it turns out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that we heard one of them talking like an American. I mm-hmm. guess he was just deep cover. They're all MI6 agents. Obviously, they think the deaths are linked. Bond has to investigate once he's done getting his Italian slampies out of the way. Mm-hmm. We see Money Penny, incidentally, and Roger Moore's Bond is a lot less horny for Money Penny than we've seen mm. either Connery or Lazenby be. Which is like really, really interesting. I don't know if they thought that she was too old now, but like, it's a weird jump from, especially when Lazenby was just like fully groping Money Penny in the office, to now she's just kind of this like matronly figure who like covers up Bond's transgressions. Mm. He didn't even thread the spank. Fucked up. No, which he fucking he fucking did in um. Oh god, Thunderball. Yeah. yeah. But he's got a magnet watch that he uses to fuck around with M's teaspoon. You see, by pulling out this button, sir, it turns the watch into a hyper-intensified magnetic field. This will come up at every possible opportunity yeah. mm-hmm. in this movie. My notes for this simply say that this movie is a watch advert with extra <laughs> Right. We get like this long loving shot of Bond's watch like before this. He's wearing a different watch in bed. It's like a digital watch. We get a shot of that. Then we get a shot of him getting the Rolex back. And every single time he needs to do something in this movie, he will go to the Rolex, mm. which is fucking great. Obviously, he uses it to magnet the Italian lady's dress off. Oh, fuck's sake. It doesn't pull the zipper out of the dress, it just gently unzips it. But we've seen it like fling things across the room. <laughs> he just like pulls all of her fillings out like an MRI. <laughs> oh god, and his line when he does that is sheer magnetism, darling. Roger Moore calls every woman he sees in this movie darling, and I hate it. I hate him mm. so much. I will destroy Roger Moore. <laughs> I would rather have the Sean Connery thing where he just like spanks my ass than this kind of oleaginous dickhead. Just smarming oh, yeah. at me. The smarm scale on this movie is going to be through the fucking roof. Listeners, listeners, I'll tell you this. This is an aside to you. One of the other guests we were thinking about having on this episode of the podcast is my cousin, who was, in fact, in life, personal friends with Roger Moore. And I'm really, really <laughs> glad now that we did, we That's didn't fine. get him I on wouldn't. because <laughs> didn't realize just how much how anti Moore this podcast was going to be. I completely wouldn't turn that down. Just be slagging <laughs> off his dead friend the whole time. I would not turn that down at all either. <laughs> because this is true to life. I am very real on this for the viewers. They get everything. So yeah, first scene mm. with Roger Moore. Already more smart condensed into that one scene than basically any Connery movie. <sighs> like a cube of the stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Like neutron star material. It was like swimming through Vaseline. Yeah. He's he's like all chin too. Mm. He's kind of well built because he's like young when he does this first movie. But like the thing that I remember from this is just like his face it just looks like it's 90% chin. And he's got the like chin <laughs> ass. He's got the chin class. <laughs> So I'm just, I'm just sat there looking at this guy's fucking chin ass being like, <laughs> this is indecent. Cover yourself. Cover your shame. <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bond, Bond flies to New York to investigate. 
and suffers the world's least threatening and most baroque assassination attempt. Why does he go to New York? Considering, oh, because yeah. the UN is there. Yeah. Because the UN guy was spying on a, a the leader of a, an island nation called San Monique mm-hmm. in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. a guy called Dr. Kananga. Mm-hmm. A sovereign nation, let's just make that clear at the offset, so the rest of this is very yeah. clear. A sovereign nation over which Bond has yeah, zero yeah. jurisdiction. And so Bond decides to poke around and start by investigating Kananga. A CIA guy picks him up from the airport, and as they're driving along the highway in New York, a white Cadillac pulls up alongside, and the guy driving uses a special gun in the wing mirror to shoot a dart into the CIA driver's head. Good thing you had the window open. <laughs> which kills him perfectly silently. He does not move at all. Stone fucking dead. And then several seconds after this, his corpse puts a pedal to the metal. And so Roger Moore has to like leap forward and try and like move the guy's corpse out of the way to avoid a, a car crash, which is just, it's not that scary. It's really they not. They try their best. They put a camera on the front of the car and like weave through traffic and stuff. But like, come on, no. Yeah, it's, it's not very perilous. It's the, the, the way that Prince Philip killed Diana. <laughs> we do get a fun line though, because Bond then phones this in to Felix Leiter from the CIA. And uh, Felix has a cool line. I got the line. Get me a making a white pitmobile. Poor thing. <laughs> just, just, what naked model is a pitmobile? Like, I don't see that in the Cadillac catalog. <laughs> just slips right in there. White pitmobile. Un- totally unremarked. Yeah. Also, Felix Leiter, not Italian anymore in this one. Fucked up. Or gay. <laughs> not gay, not Italian. Boring. This is like white bread ass Felix Leiter for this entire fucking movie. Very upset. Mm-hmm. Felix is spying on on Dr. Kananga, just doing some like CIA espionage on an embassy. Fine, whatever. It's a violation of sovereignty, whatever. It's what the CIA meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> and we see Dr. Kananga for the first time. He like comes in with his his secretary, this very hot woman named Solitaire. Normal name. And he has her take a letter and then starts a tape machine going, which is just sort of this like long-winded anti-colonial speech. Mm-hmm. Which instantly throws Felix Leiser off. He's just like, oh yeah, he's like, he's knitting a flag in there. I mean, it could have been a speech about anything, right? It could have been a boring, like, normal, ordinary business letter that you might hear in an embassy, but it's specifically mm-hmm. an anti colonial speech. They chose to do that. I'm very glad you flagged that up. For too long, mm-hmm. members of our community have been have allowed themselves to be bullied by yeah. United States industry. So says the black leader, Dr. K. It's very <laughs> subtle, the messaging in this film. Very, very subtle. <laughs> this, is, this is a fascinatingly racist idea, because as he's doing this, all of the anti-colonialist rhetoric is pure diversion, because... At the time that this is playing, he is dressing into his pimp outfit. Yeah, all of his henchmen arrive dressed as stereotypes, is the oh word I've written. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, v- various of pimps. If you had to, like, if you had central casting in, like, the early 70s and you had just written pimps. I mean, they all look amazing, but, like, in the context of the film, it's 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 yeah. very problematic. He's, he's literally, he like, he comes in wearing... Sort of like, oh, I think it might even be white tie. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's certainly diplomatic attire and looking very sort of stentorian. And then he changes into a red velour coat and a leopard print scarf and like high oh, yeah. heel boots. Uh, sure, 
Anyway, uh, it's time for Bond to go to a voodoo shop. Oh, boy. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> the voodoo shop, which is next to the embassy of San Monique. Mm-hmm. Very smart. Yes. Very well-placed. Because he's trailed the car there. He misdirects the clerk into the back, and he slips into the back office, which is a garage, where he finds the white pimp-mobile. I would like to highlight an instant, a fucking fleeting moment in this scene where Roger Moore is in the fucking voodoo shop. The clerk has come out and she's gone, do you need any help with anything, sir? And he goes, no, no, just browsing, and turns away from her. As he's turning away, he gives her the world's most fucking, like, side-eye suspicious glance over his shoulder Mm -hmm. for textually, Mm -hmm. simply because... She isn't white. <laughs> like, it codes it so clearly that every single time a black guy is on screen, you're supposed to be like, oh, shit, one of these. Like, you're mm-hmm. supposed to be mm-hmm. suspicious. And Moore himself portrays that in, like, it's just an instant. Yeah, but if yeah, you yeah. watch that scene, it's, it screams out. Yeah, blackness is a threat in itself mm-hmm. in this movie. And it uses that to do, like, what's, Otherwise, like the bones of this script are like a fairly standard like spy thriller, but it's like every time that 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 template would require we need rising threat here, they just insert some blackness mm-hmm. and just hope that that works. As we see, because Bond, he tails them in a taxi. He tails the white pimpmobile in a taxi. Yeah, it's almost I can't decide if it's played for comedy, but they keep passing other cars. I don't think it is. And like the clerk in the shop is like radioing in, and the implication is that whenever they pass a black person, they are all part of this conspiracy, and then they're like one twenty fifth, like you've got a honky on your tail, like they're all calling it in. One twenty fifth, you got a honky on your tail. And it it really does go from one twenty fifth. You got a honky on your tail to the Bond theme. <laughs> yeah, as Bond is fucking gang stalked <laughs> towards Harlem. He gets into Harlem, and when he gets out of the taxi, like his taxi driver is also calling it in. Like he's also <laughs> part of it. It's like the implication is that every single black person in America is in on this conspiracy, and they are therefore all suspicious. In this movie, black people just love lying to white people. Yeah. Right? Also, I want to flag up the fact that Bond is walking through Harlem in a suit with an overcoat and leather yep. gloves. He looks fully <laughs> like a nonce. It's full <laughs> nonce shit. This is like the nonce's uniform abroad. This scene is like the unironic version of the OSS Sondi set guy. I was about to say, <laughs> yeah. Who just like phones in every time Bond leaves or arrives at a location. This movie has actually made my opinion of OSS Sondi set better because mm. it's made that joke about five times funnier. Mm. I'm just a guy leaning into a phone box and narrating every fucking thing he does. He just came into the hotel. <laughs> he just left the hotel. Everyone in America is in on this. <laughs> <laughs> he goes into a filet of soul restaurant again. Okay, can I stop for a second to talk about filet of soul? Because it really frustrates me. It, it's got a kind of cool name, right? It's got a pun of the name. And I'm expecting like a you buy, we fry fish place. Yeah, it's a front. Mm. I grew up in plenty of places where the fronts also had amazing food. Mm. And you look at the menu on the wall and it's just like burgers. There's no meat in three. And has anybody gone to a soul food restaurant who worked in this movie? Of course not. Of course not. It's completely baffling. It's just like they're like American. That's burgers, right? (laughs) Yeah. The reason you know that they haven't is the way that they respond to Bond being in their restaurant, right? 
He goes into their restaurant and he orders a drink. Yours a bourbon, and it's literally like the piano stops playing in a saloon. Everybody turns and looks at him. Nobody has anything else going on. He is the only white person who has ever been seen in Harlem. (laughs) (laughs) And like, oh god, and they fuck up his drink order too. He has to tell them that neat means no ice. And you get you get a very like white man in a hostile land ass thing where the the waiter's doing bits Mm. at him about his order. He goes like, oh, no ice. And the waiter's like, yeah, that'll cost extra. It's supposed to be like a very, you are not where you belong, my friend, sort of situation. Mm-hmm. One of the guys on the radio says that it's like following a cue. <laughs> also, the fact that he orders a whiskey neat was a deliberate choice because they didn't want him to order a fucking vodka martini because they thought that was too, too Sean Connery. We wanted this to be a new start for Bond, a fresh new start. Hmm. In fairness, walking into a soul food restaurant and ordering a vodka martini would have been a funny bit about how out of touch Bond is. It's a completely Bond-ass thing to do. It would have justified some of the like laughter he gets, but he just like, aside from being dressed like a nonce, right, he just walks in and makes an order. It's not that weird, but everybody is like, Eyeball. I really wanted mm. to see Roger Moore wrestle with like eating, I don't know, a plate of hot links and uh, grits. Like that would have been. It great. would have been like that photo of Pete Buttigieg <laughs> eating the cinnamon roll with his hand, like a little rat. Does Ed Miliband bacon sandwich? Uh, poor old Ed. <laughs> In my head, he just keeps those stupid leather gloves on the whole time while he's trying to cut his hot link with a knife and fork. Nonshit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot. There was there was a bit that I I forgot to mention, which is as Bond is traveling to New York, we see his journey reflected in tarot cards. Oh, you're right. Because we see Solitaire narrating what he's doing, because she can see through time and space. The only line that I pulled from this was "A man comes," which I will be using later. (laughs) This is going to be one of those movies where every like forty to fifty minutes, I went. That's not what the death card means. It just means it like a change. She's the worst fortune teller I've ever seen. She's like, he comes over water. Well, they're either in San Monique or New York, which are both islands. So yes, he's coming over water. <laughs> it's like, this means mm. nothing to me. <laughs> I could have said this. Bond sits in, in a booth with his whiskey and he tries to get information out of the waiter. This is shot well. He's like, yeah, I want something on the side. Information. He hands the waiter like a 20. And then the booth that he's in spins around and he disappears into the wall. And the waiter takes his tip and his drink, which is great. It's very good. And of course, Bond has to now get threatened, so... Relax, baby. Mr. Big's gonna take care of you in a minute. I could not think of a better name for your gangster kingpin than Mr. Big. Yeah, I really like King of the Hill ass shit. He big. I will point out that the reason in the novel why he's called Mr. Big is because it's his initials, and his initials stand for Bonaparte Ignace Gallia. What? Ian Fleming was such Fuck a good you. writer. <laughs> why did they go for that and not Kananga? Oh, to be, to be fair though, the, the actual reason they went for Kananga was that there was a stuntman working on it, and that was his surname, which is why they went with that. Yeah, Fred Kananga. So Bond meets Solitaire for the first time, 
and he draws the lover's card when he asks her about her future and is like, oh yeah, we're gonna fuck. And she is discomforted by this. And he's like, well, don't care. <laughs> Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman looks like she's 12 in this scene, though. It is fucked up. It is creepy. Mm. It's really uncomfortable. Jane Seymour looks quite sort of... Mm. Is she wearing some almost brown face? Um, She definitely looks not as white in this scene as she does in later scenes. She gets uh, whiter the more the movie goes on. That is true. And she gets in like more and more like slinkier whiter dresses mm-hmm. as she gets more imperiled. That's right. For now, she's supposed to be threatening. Anyway, we meet Mr. Big, which gives us the title drop. My name is James is for Tombstones, baby. Y'all take this honky out and waste him now. I want to talk also about how Bond's response to this is, well, what does wasted mean? Is that good? <laughs> Fucking idiot. I mean, I mean, Mr. Big has one of the best attitudes towards Bond that we've seen of any villain so far, which is just like, kill him immediately. Yeah, just kill Stamp. him. Find him again. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the way that Mr. Big looks? Yes. <laughs> yes, please let us discuss this. Did he put on white dishes or something? Because he turned like three skin tones lighter in that scene. He looks like... Oh god, he looks like he has you. <laughs> he looks like if if you've tried to like use the old face app race filter on a picture of Michael Myers. <laughs> His skin looks fucked up, right? Mm. And there is a reason for this. He looks really kind of like waxy and unnatural, and it's mm. really uncanny. But he's not meant to. We're meant to just be like, oh, that's a normal guy. Mm-hmm. It's a normal guy being like, kill this honky. He looks completely fucked up. And we're just like, oh. <laughs> Mr. Big is Kananga. He's wearing a rubber mask. <gasps> but the reason why that was completely spoiled for me is that I watch with subtitles and he's he was subtitled Kananga the entire time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the fuck's happening here? Why does my man look like that? <laughs> I didn't realize it was supposed to be a reveal. How does he have time to administer an entire country and be a drug lord? Like That's a great question. He has a lot of spare time, which is very strange. I don't know. He does have a very cool henchman to help him who has a claw for a hand. He has a couple of cool henchmen. <laughs> he he. Tee-hee fucking rules. Mm. Uh, he takes Bond's gun, he bends the barrel with his artificial hand, his artificial limb, which is like a hook. He's got like a Jaws of Life-ass thing attached to his arm, is the way it works. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's he's called Teehee because he has kind of like a compulsive laugh because he's the dang joke. He's cool, he's having a good time, he's vibrant, like he's my favourite. Yeah. By a country mile. He seems to really enjoy his work, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He's a, he's a highly motivated self-starter. So, but Bond is then, of course, then taken out in the alley to be wasted. He turns it around on the two goons, he like beats them up. One of them makes a perfect Minecraft noise. I fucking wrote that too! I fucking wrote that too! He goes, Ugh. You better believe I have the noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, I love yours. Um, 100%. It's, it's so weird, man. Yeah, it's a, he very easily, he like he kicks one of the guys once and he just kind of falls over. It's very weird. Yeah, he, he like opens a fire escape on them. Yeah. Um, but at this point, somebody in the production staff realizes that they can't just have every black person in this film be evil. No. We need one black guy who's a good guy. So we meet CIA agent Strutter, Ray who really doesn't do all that much. But he's in the film. <laughs> That's the most we can say. Strutter, he is in this movie. <laughs> He is in this film. He only gets like a couple of lines, and the lines he's all talking like kind of like Jack Palance. It's all very mm. like top of the world, Jack kind of thing. He rescues Bond. 
He explains that Mr. Big is the only person who could put together this much black muscle. Okay. That's what he says. That's the line. I know it's the line, but it's so much, man. <laughs> just every time there's something that makes you worse, I'm just going to hit you with a... <laughs> That's how it feels like. That's what this movie feels like to watch. Is you're, just, you're just watching this kind of terrible movie which is two hours long because editing still wasn't invented yet mm. and then every so often there's just a line that just is like oh i worry that if i complete this sentence i'm gonna get memes i'm get someone's gonna fucking post that image from like community where someone's like oh, i can excuse racism but a badly made movie but honestly <laughs> i came into this being like okay this is gonna be insipidly racist this is gonna be brutal to even watch yeah. but also it's a shit fucking movie. Like it, it, it's badly mm. made. It's badly timed. It fucking overstays in the third act, like every fucking Bond movie does. It's like they had simultaneously too many ideas and too few. It's like they saw Sweet Sweetback's badass song and were like, "Whoa, a black exploitation movie would be cool." But what if the white guy was the hero? And then they're like. I don't know. Maybe we need to do a, mm. a wacky mm. chase movie. Like, those are big right now. And then they just threw in some random other things like, uh, you know what's scary? Voodoo. Yeah. Let's have some voodoo in here. I've had a realization, which is during the scene where Bond is going to the restaurant and every black person in America is on a walkie-talkie that they have concealed about their person going, he just turned left on 125th Street, right? One of the people, the first person, in fact, who gets called on the radio is Strutter. So either he's in fucking deep cover. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they've just kind of forgotten until this point in the script that he's on a different side. I don't know. Maybe they're supposed to be setting up that he's being followed by the CIA and every black person in America. I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. Maybe. Uh, combo. You know, when, when we're born in America, all black people get a book that says how to lie and deceive O'Fay. Uh, I'm sure the Strutter's just playing from that playbook. Also, I should point out, Roger Moore is a terrible fighter. Mm. He's, he's He sucks shit in this movie. Yeah, he really is bad. He sucks so bad. Yeah, he's not like a physical guy. No. I mean, he's not really like any other kind he's of a, guy. He's a pair of eyebrows. Mm. He's got a fucking act. It's just the slow slab of ham. <laughs> so, okay, I wanted to, to pull this further to something Chris just said, but the reason why this novel was chosen as the next to be adapted while they were filming Diamonds Are Forever was because Tom Mankovich thought it would be daring to use black villains because the Black Panthers were active during the era this was made. This was specifically made as like a, damn, these black people are... Doing all sort of like political shit. Wow. What if we made them the villains? Says so much about our society. Yeah. And it comes through so hard because there's at least three characters who, when we get to them, it's essentially just imagine what a Black Panther yeah. looks like. There's another bit that I'm thinking of, right? <laughs> there's a guy who just looks like fucking Tom Hampton easily. <laughs> We're going to get stuck on the scene because all the ideology of this movie is in it. But when he gets out of the cab to get to the restaurant, the driver, who is like also spying on him, he tips him, and the driver says, "Right on, brother." And Bond gives him this look yeah. that lasts fully a couple of seconds. <laughs> that, and what I think that's intended so to communicate to the viewer is just like, "Yo, you've seen these black yeah. people? It's crazy." Who are these black people? They've got now. When did this come in? 
Strange news out of America, Bond. They're called black <laughs> mm. people. So Bond, Bond is informed that Kananga has left town. He has gone home to Saint Domingue. Uh, San, San, San Monique. Oh, what is it called? San, San, Monique. San Monique. Just say San Marino every time. Oh, it'll yeah. be very funny. The, the reason why San Marino fucks with me so much is because it's like, in their attempt to not talk about a, a real place, they've done half French and half Spanish. Mm. So with different genders, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it should be like Santa Monica or Saint Monique, but it's yeah, San Monique. Anyway, we we get to see poor, poor Jeffrey Holder for oh. the first time. Future Tony Award winner. Oh, there's oh, nothing Jeffrey. in this movie that makes me as mad as the misuse of Jeffrey Holder. Poor guy. Oh, Jeffrey Holder is like. He's monumentally talented. He's a ballet dancer. He's a composer. He won Tony's for costume design and director. He was a painter. He published books of photography. And he's most famous for appearing in 7-Up commercials and being a racist caricature in Abby. And Roger Moore, this big slab of beef, like is knighted and celebrated. Yeah. Anyway, he's totally misused in this movie. It's bad. Yeah. Jeffrey Holder is Baron Samdi, Mm. who we are informed is... The voodoo god of cemeteries, <sighs> chief of the Legion of the Dead. Uh, and his business in this movie is mostly to like laugh menacingly mm-hmm. and cakewalk around, <laughs> which he does very well because it's Jeffrey Holder. And like, I will point out the one thing that you observe from this movie is it's insane how much better the black actors are than. Roger Moore and Jane Seymour. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's so much. Every single fucking scene that Moore is in, he's getting completely eaten up by every other actor who have been given these, like, mm. pathetic caricatures. And yet they're still playing them so much better than fucking Moore is with his pathetic caricature. Yafakoto works so hard. <laughs> yeah, Yafakoto is Mr. Big and Kananga. And half of the reason why this movie isn't going to be getting, like, a fucking <laughs> 20 out of 7 for racism, because Yafakoto just kept going, like, I'm not saying that line, man. <laughs> like, every time. Really? I both want and very much do not want to find out what was in the shooting script that he said no to. But yeah, yeah, he's on record as being, like, the, half the shit that Tom Mankiewicz wrote down, I would not say. That rules. Like, it was too undignified. Well, we'll get to undignified, but the dignity that Kananga gets in this movie is not very much. Anyway, we see Jeffrey Holder's Baron Samdi as like a um, tourist entertainer as Bond checks into his hotel in San Marino. And <laughs> Santa Monica. As Bond checks into his hotel room in Santa Monica, he discovers, of course, that the hotel room is bugged, <laughs> another classic mm-hmm. Bond scene. And then, because we're like we're looping back to old Bond ideas, motherfuckers love to try and kill James Bond by inserting an animal into his hotel room. Yeah. I wanted to highlight again, worst secret agent has ever existed, because he goes to this fucking hotel and they're like, oh yes, Mr. Bond, Mrs. Bond was here just now, she's already ahead in the room. And any fucking secret agent worth mm. half their metal would be like, ah oh, yes, I understand that this must be That's crap. crap. Like, no, no, it, maybe not even a trap, just like someone <laughs> has been set up. But this guy just goes like, Mrs. Bond? <laughs> and it's like, bro, fucking... Let me just call my boss, MI6. <laughs> Why does he sign in the hotel with his own name? <laughs> Look, I don't think that's right. I'm a confirmed bachelor. Like, fucking just go to your room, dude. But he does, and they slit the snake in there. And this snake has done this before. <laughs> There's no way to explain how completely... 
adept at stealth this fucking snake is. It's hiding behind shit. This is the bond of snakes. Uh, and this snake, which incidentally looks like, even to me, like the most harmless fucking snake. Yeah, harmless. he's adorable. It's a white corn snake. <laughs> it, it like slithers towards Bond, and Bond responds to this by burning the hotel down. <laughs> he just turns around with his aftershave spray can in one hand and his cigar, because Roger Moore smokes cigars in this movie to make him less Connery like. Massive cigars. Yeah, and he just fucking flamethrowers this snake. What the fuck was in that of <laughs> aftershave? Listen, they used to make them stronger in those days. It was the Sex Panther cologne. It, it was a long flame. Like, it wasn't just a gout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, this was a fucking, like, spout of flame. Mm. But then, a gun comes through the door, and he fumbles for his gun, which you would think he would have. He's a secret agent, and he's like, ah, oh, fuck, I can't find it. <laughs> Left it in a carry-on. Uh, in, 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 in the pile <laughs> of three things on the desk. The, the, the most important thing that I have to remember where it is, I have already lost. <laughs> he puts out his cigar on the like armed hand that comes through the door, and throws a stunt double onto the bed. This is his contact, CIA agent Rosie Carver. Jesus fucking Christ. No one is treated worse in this movie. No, wait, that's a lie. One person is. Who didn't bother to pin her wig, because it just flies off. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. What black woman, like, does not pin her wig? Well, because it's important that we know that it's a wig. And also, it's it, it's gonna like set up that she's kind of like deceptive, mm -hmm. which is cool. But like, she's very ditzy. Mm -hmm. She's like... You're only my second assignment, and my first assignment was Baines, the guy who got killed with the snake. Mm. But I, I'm sure it's fine. And so Bond kind of like demures and like does not tell her about the burned snake in the bathroom. Yeah. So when she oh. goes in there, she screams, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's the snake. I should have told you about the snake." Couldn't she smell the burned snake? Yeah, a bunch of burned aftershave and a dead snake, famously like difficult to notice. She's like, yo, what smells like burned snake? <laughs> hey, yo, you wearing burned snake? <laughs> yeah, this is my cologne, burned snake. I mean, I guess he did just order room service, so maybe she thought it was the special. Mm -hmm. The the fact that he ordered room service is somewhat cogent to her cover story because he orders room service. I don't fucking remember what he orders, some bond shit. Bollinger. Specifically, it's Bollinger, not Don Perignon. Oh, dickhead. Yeah, it's very specifically because the, the movie had a <laughs> fucking sponsorship. Also, just before I get into that, this movie had so many fucking mm. sponsorships, and they list them all in the credits. It's fascinating to look at the list. Mm -hmm. Now, pay attention, 007. Curiosity Stream is an online streaming service where you can... <laughs> the the guy that shows up to deliver this, this Bollinger is the same guy who was in the car that assassinated his driver right at the very start. It is uh, a man by the name of mm. Whisper. And I have been thinking about Whisper for quite some fucking time since I watched this, because Whisper is overweight, and as his name implies, he can only whisper. So this is an overweight, disabled man. And neither of those aspects are played mm. for laughs, like they might have been in a previous or would have been in a later Bond. They are treated with just pure contempt from top to bottom. Every single time he's on screen, he's getting abused mm -hmm. by someone. He just gets on with his job. He gets in, he fucking says, like, 
typical way to shit to Bond, but he whispers it and Bond's like, what was that? Huh? And he says it again and then he fucking gets sent out of there. And then there's a later scene where Kananga does mm. that to him. And it's like, bro, this is yeah. your employee. You fucking know what his deal is. Yeah. Why are you just being so rude to this fucking man? Whisperer is, is like unjustly treated, but still less so than Rosie, mm-hmm. right? Who gets two sequential jump scares because she goes out of the bathroom, into the bedroom, screams again because someone has left them a voodoo death threat. You, you kind of skipped the part where she said she would rather take a cyanide pill than fuck Bond right before she Oh, goes fuck, you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bond immediately tries to fuck her and she says, Felix, tell me there'll be moments like this. Bonded. Good old Felix, just. If all else failed, cyanide pills. <laughs> Hey, Rosie, your, your contact is a dangerous rapist. Mm. Okay, yeah. Everyone knows who Bond is, and they all know that he's a dangerous yeah. sex pest. But yeah, she, she she finds the voodoo the voodoo death threat, which Bond immediately is like, sort of poo-poos. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's a small hat. <laughs> Whatever. Like, but she, she of course, has to get the sort of, like, ghosts yeah. moment. Well, right. You can't have a racist movie without black people being scared of ghosts. It's interesting that Bond dismisses this, whereas, like, if he'd had an ounce of intelligence or detective skills, he'd be like, oh, well, this is, like, I know what this is because I've, like, studied the culture that I've been sent into and it's, like, a threat. Maybe it can tell me something about, like, who's threatening me. But instead he's just like, this is a- somebody's left a small hat with chicken feathers on my bed. I'm James Bond. Let's have some Bollinger. Like, it's just like, it's contempt to the extent that it would hinder him doing his job, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't take the supernatural threat seriously, which, fine, whatever, someone's been in your fucking room to leave you a death threat after having also tried to kill you with a snake. Yeah, dog. And you're just like, eh, whatever. It's very much a continuation of the point I made in our first episode, Dr. No, which was about Quarrel, which was black people in these fucking movies are always treated as extremely base and instinct-driven mm. to a point where, like, it's a central plot point that the people of San Monique are being kept away from something Kananga doesn't want them to see by mm. using voodoo because, whoa, ghosts. Now, you yes! mentioned quarrel. Oh, disgusting. I mentioned fucking quarrel because I, I'm i a fucking professional <laughs> and I understand segues. <laughs> so uh, after, after Bond like successfully uh, uses Rosie's like contemptible superstition to force her to have sex with him, <sighs> right, genuinely... They go out to charter a boat in the morning. And you have a quarrel from Dr. No. You know, quarrel, the fisherman. The fetch my shoes guy? Yeah, the fetch my shoe guys, the Jamaican fisherman from Dr. Yeah. No. Guess what? There's only like five black people in the world. So one of these fishermen, it's Quarrel Junior. Yay! At least he survives. Which I guess means that like Bond like orphaned or half orphaned <laughs> this guy. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I got your dad killed with a flamethrower tank. Uh, do you want to join me in the family business of, like, fetching my shoes? And this guy, Quarrel Jr., is like, yes. For the record, that's two, count them, two black people in this movie who are not textually evil. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, good point, yeah, yeah, good yeah. point. Basically progressive, as far as movies from the 70s go. Oh, these woke leftists always having to include at least one <laughs> black person who isn't on the international anti-white conspiracy. Bond gets Rosie to take him to the place where Baines was killed. 
But she kind of tries to misdirect him, right? She's like, it's, it's up in the hills, but it's, it's down here. And he immediately gets mm. suspicious. Not suspicious enough to not have sex with her a second mm-hmm. time. A man comes. <laughs> After having had sex with her, right? Oh, not even going to justify that. He's like, I know you've been lying to me. I know you're a double agent. You're trying to like lead me into a trap. Tell me where Kananga is. And she's like, well, I can't do that. They'll kill me. The mask drops, right? He just flatly pulls the gun on her. He's like, yeah, well, I'll kill you if you don't. I wanted to say something about this scene because it mirrors a later scene that occurs with Solitaire. I think it's interesting to watch this film and note who gets a gun pointed at them and when. Um, and it's specifically mm. always the black characters who do. So she is a CIA agent. Bond has figured out that she is somehow been corrupted or or blackmailed. Um, And she even tells him, they will kill me. Like, they've got something on me. I've been compromised. And his response as an agent is not to say, well, you know, we can protect you or like, we need to remove you from the theater of operations because like you've clearly been compromised. His response is just to say, I will fucking shoot you with this gun if you don't tell me what I need to know now. He puts it in her face. He cocks the gun. And like pointed at her, having just shagged her, and like it's maddening. It's despicable the way that he behaves in this film. The worst part of that is she's like, "No, you wouldn't do that. We just had sex." And he's like, "Well, I wouldn't have done it before." So like she is literally just a piece of meat to him. She's not even a human. Oh, I forgot about that line. <sighs> Fuck. Oh, I hate yeah. this man. <laughs> I appreciate he's just reading a script he's been given. Yeah, but whoever that's... wrote this, and I have name dropped whoever wrote this, Tom Mankovich. Tom Mankovich, yeah. I will destroy if this man's still alive. Let me double check. I... Mm, he died in 2010. Imagine being the nephew of the guy who is partially responsible for Citizen Kane, considered one of the greatest movies of all time, and this is your magnum opus. We are 43 minutes into this movie. It's such a long movie as well. That's the weirdest part. There's a point before that scene where Solitaire is once again being asked mm-hmm. to track Bond's location using tarot cards. And she's talking to Kananga on the phone. And she pulls the lover's card. And again, it's just like, the cards say I have to fuck mm-hmm. Bond. But she lies to Kananga and says she pulled the mm-hmm. death card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That isn't what death means. That sets up something for later. Carry on. Uh, what is with fucking hang gliding in the early 70s? We had this in Man from Hong Kong. Everybody was really into <laughs> hang gliding. Bond has to like infiltrate uh, Solitaire's house, and he does this by means of like hang gliding while smoking a cigar, like the world's <laughs> biggest piece of shit. He kicks a guy off a cliff with the hang glider. Gets a spinning I hate 007. This guy so much. <laughs> I'll destroy him. Yeah, and of course, like it's it's been twenty minutes since he's had sex with anybody under like dubious pretenses. So he breaks into Solitaire's house. Tells her that the cards... He jacks her deck, man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tells her that the cards say they're gonna fuck. And he establishes, you really believe in these cards, right? Mm-hmm. And she says straight up, oh, this is like blasphemy. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, no, fine, I don't give a shit, I'm gonna take advantage. He's like, I've got the blue eyes, white dragon, we gotta fuck. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm gonna take <laughs> advantage of what I, I now believe to be your religion to make you fuck me. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't she have a special deck? Like, why does she have one that you could just pick up at any store? Good point. He makes her draw a card, and it's the lovers. And as they kiss, 
we see that he has replaced the entire deck with the lovers. And we're meant to go, ah, what a clever fucking rogue, instead of like... I got very mad about this also. What a fucking duplicitous piece of shit. Creepy rapist. A little spinning silver thing that says covert human intelligence sources act appears above his head. How did you get that money? These tarot decks are either $16.99 a pop, in which case he's bought (laughs) at least 50 of them. Or she has all of these decks herself and he's gone through them and individually removed the lovers. We see them set this up because he goes to the tarot shop in like the resort. So he has either bought 50 tarot decks or he has like... No, he's had to, he has to buy over 70 because there's also 22 major arcana. So there's also the suit cards. God, no, you're completely right. Or he's made some poor fucking shop clerk go through, make me a deck entirely of lovers. Either way, the American taxpayer has paid for so many tarot cards yeah. just so that this man can pull off an extremely bad line in order to get mm. laid. Kan- Kananga kills Rosie, Bond fucks Solitaire. A man comes. <laughs> they go and try to investigate what's going on, and they discover a bunch of camouflaged heroin fields, mm. right? I've written dire fit here, <laughs> and I'm trying to find a picture so that I can remember what it's doing. He's was. wearing like a black open necked shirt and bell bottoms. Is that the one where he had the reversible tuxedo, and like all of a sudden he's wearing like oh, gray flannel bell bottoms for some reason? He's got like a baby blue denim jacket on and the same colored trousers, and he looks. Very bad. He starts the movie in a in a mustard yellow dressing gown. Like, yeah, it's very bad. Uh, Bond's Bond's line, by the way, is um, "Voodoo Land was just poppy fields. A simple matter of heroin smuggling. A simple matter of heroin smuggling." Which, and I want to be clear here. He's intuited that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't hold up in any international court. No. Yeah, this is a sovereign nation growing. Like poppies. Mm-hmm. That's something that's legal to yeah. do. He has no jurisdiction. Maybe they really wanted to make muffins. Mm. We get the first of two incredibly lengthy car chase sequences here. Mm. God, it's so long. Bond has to commandeer <sighs> a double decker bus. He drives it to escape from the police. He goes under the 11 foot 8 bridge <laughs> in the YouTube zone, takes the top deck off, and escapes back to the boat where he has Quarrel take them to New Orleans, because they figure, oh, New Orleans is like where the other guy was killed, there must be a connection there. Two points. First of all, I've, I'm looking again at my notes here, and I've written no ass on this guy. <laughs> None. Because Moore has the flattest fucking ass I've seen ever. Very unfortunate. Second of all, the way he pronounces New Orleans... New Orleans. It's like no one involved had been like, hey, buddy... This is the pronunciation of that. They get to the airport in New Orleans and are immediately captured by the same cab driver. There are four black people in America. He drove all the way from New York to New Orleans. It's the same motherfucking guy. He's kept the meter running. Bond is going to owe him a lot. Just to Captain Bond. Bond. Even though Dr. Kanega clearly has a network of... It, it makes Strasser's <laughs> line about how only Mr. Big could get together this much black muscle very funny when you consider it's four guys. <laughs> but they're very dedicated. O- only Mr. Big could put together four guys. 
Yeah. God, they're so dedicated. Uh, unfortunately, right, we do have Stratus to deal with, and the plot then, the script then realizes, ah, oh, fuck, we've got a dead end, and also we don't want to pay this guy any more than we already are. We have an extraneous guy. Because they just fucking kill him off screen. Uh, and the mm-hmm. way that they kill him off screen is we see him watch the same restaurant in the same place that the other guy got killed, and we see the jazz funeral go past, and we're meant to be like, oh shit, well, is, how's, how's he going to get out of this one? Hey, he doesn't. They just kill him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Off screen as well. Yeah. The, the guy who stabbed the first guy just like comes up next to him and they cut to the next scene. They, they have one trick and it works every time. Mm-hmm. The CIA is never going to stop falling for this. They never, like, for instance, get people to observe anybody in pairs. Why would you put your drug front to the French Quarter? Like, it's. <laughs> Why would they put the drug front? In the French Quarter. Bond has previously been captured in a filet soul restaurant with a rotating booth. And so, when he goes into the second one, he's like, I don't want a booth this time. Because he's, he's smart, he's wised up to this. So he gets a seat, by, uh, a seat by the stage, and the seat by the stage immediately then drops him into the basement where <laughs> he's captured again. Don't go into this guy's restaurants! Stop going in there! <laughs> <laughs> Don't sit down! He has entirely chair-based traps. <laughs> he does as well. But, but Mr. Big is spending way too much on overhead. Like, the French Quarter's expensive. Why would you put your drug front there, and then why would you spend, like, all of your money in this kind of listed-type neighborhood, hollowing out an underground in a place with a <laughs> high groundwater level to put in your secret underground torture uh, meeting room. Oh my god, you're so right. I hadn't even considered how unbelievably hard it would be to have a basement in New Orleans. <laughs> we, we still have an hour to go on this movie. I'm blazing through it, but it's fucking... Oh, it's okay. There's like 10 minutes that we're just going to not talk oh about because it's a 10-minute oh long fucking, fucking God. speedboat okay. chase. Mm-hmm. Bond gets handcuffed to a chair, and we get the big reveal that Kananga and Mr. Big are the same person, because Mr. Big puts his like fucked-up waxy face in Bond's face. Solitaire is there. He points to her, and he's like, did you mess with that? Because if you fucked Solitaire, right, her like tarot powers don't work anymore? Mm-hmm. He specifically refers to obia, which is a West Indian practice of, like, it's hard to explain. But why is this white woman using, like, ancient slave magics? Why is she the the recipient of obia? Because she's a virgin, and white virgins are the most powerful people, Mm -hmm. uh, which is Mm -hmm. why video games are so good now. (laughs) Bond has fucked the power out of her, Mm -hmm. and she says afterwards, like, yeah, no, I just can't see. Right, and he's yeah. gonna kill me now because of this. And Bond tries to like be like, "Oh, well, I did trick you," as if that's you know, uh, yeah. don't, don't be mad, but I did technically, you know, uh, rape you by deception here. Interestingly, does not point a gun in her face when she says the bad guys are gonna kill me. I wonder why. She says a physical violation cannot be undone. So uh-huh. I think that was a line she's... from one of the reviews of this film. <laughs> yeah. She's still, she's still into him, but. Kananga pulls off his fucked up face in front of Bond, and you see, oh shit, it's Yafet Koso under there. Yo, it's the same guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Who was previously seen, like, running a tape and getting a whole pep suit, mm-hmm. so it's a giant surprise. And so he, he does a little test, right? He has Solitaire try and read the number off of uh, the back of Bond's watch. If she's wrong, then he's, he's going to have Tihi cut one of Bond's fingers off and so on. Which is definitely something you can do with tarot cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's what's really interesting to me is she fucking gets it wrong, 
But we aren't supposed to know that because mm-hmm. he's only using that as like a threat. He's being considerably more clever than most other Bond villains would mm. be because he doesn't actually follow through on this at all. He sells both Bond and Solitaire on, oh, well, you got it right, fine. Go and get Bond out of here. But like, she fucking gets it wrong because she has lost her very real, within the context of the movie, tarot psychic powers because Bond has had sex with her. I hate it when this happens. <laughs> yeah. But like, he has successfully like lulled them both into a false sense of security. Also, he discusses his plan. His plan is he's going to grow a bunch of heroin and then ship it to the United States, distribute it in the Filet Soul restaurants for free. Bond describes this as a junkie's welfare system, which is... Yeah, this is the point where it does start to become an actual crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up and up until the point where you're shipping it to the US and selling it, this is legal. His plan is he's going to distribute this heroin free to drive the mob out of business and become a monopoly on dealing heroin. But the idea of trafficking drugs from the Caribbean into the United States to distribute into the ghetto Mm. for free, or at least for very cheap, he has just inadvertently described the shit the CIA would do with crack ten years later. He just was ahead of his time. Yeah, this movie just predicts shit the CIA actually did. Which is very cool. I find that very funny. Felix Leiter was taking notes. <laughs> He's like, oh shit, that's a good idea. You just get them all on crack. So they have Tihi knock Bond unconscious and take him to the farm, the alligator farm. And crocodile farm. Yeah. This is what got my attention back into the movie because mm-hmm. I was lulling. I'll be completely honest. But then they put a fucking crocodile on screen and I went, that's a boy. And then I was back on. Bunch of alligators, bunch of crocodiles. And Tihi's plan is to explain crocodiles to Bond, (laughs) which is cool, he does that. He gets a little lesson on crocodiles. The way you can tell them apart from alligators, crocodiles have a round nose. Cool. He tosses them some some meat. He leaves Bond on an island in the middle (laughs) of a swamp to be eaten by alligators. Yeah, it's, it's something interesting. I was like, I just wouldn't have stepped onto the yeah. island. Yeah. He steps onto it from like an extended walkway that then de-extends and leaves him on the island. I was like, I wouldn't have got off the walkway. All of the fucking threats here are like, be eaten by alligators or I will shoot you. I don't know, maybe I'm built different, but I'd pick the like death by gunshot wounds. Yeah. I'm like, shoot me, man. <laughs> no interest. The crocodiles are far more likely to eat yeah. uh, than the alligators because alligators can't extrude salt, uh, and crocodiles can mm. because they live in the ocean. Yeah, this is all in the stuff that Tihi explains to Bond. Mm-hmm. Gives him a little briefing back. Roger Moore is made of roast ham, so it would be very salty. <laughs> Tries to use the Rolex, the the magnetic Rolex, to like move a boat to him, and that doesn't work. So he he pulls the most fucking. I would simply walk out. I would just leave. You can just go. Share zones it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if it sucks, hit the bricks, and he does. Exactly the same way as getting out of the fucking pipeline in Diamonds Are Forever. He just walks out. Well, well, the crocodilians are very like convivial and line up in little neat steps for him so that helps yeah they make they make a bridge for him and he walks over their backs and he runs to safety and nobody Mm. like stops him it's so good because in a typical movie in order to get out of a jam like that you'd use something that had been set up 
something that the audience had the ability to think mm. of so that then if they had managed to guess it, they would feel smart. However, in a perfect mirror image of that, as soon as you realize what Bond's about to do, you feel like you've dropped about 10 IQ points because you're like, oh, you no way. Well, in fairness, <laughs> they do set up earlier on that he can walk. Yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, in the books, they were very clear. He sets fire to the the drug lab, escapes on a boat, and Tiki and his men give chase. We now have, by my count, one, two, three, four, twenty three oh, minutes Lord. of mm-hmm. car chase, of boat chase. This is the most inexplicable shit you can yeah. ever imagine. Bond fucking drives a boat through a series of fucking sketches. I thought that, I thought that they were ripping off the Dukes of Hazard, but the Dukes of Hazard wasn't out yet. The Dukes of Hazard is ripping off this. Ripped off. <laughs> There's a fucking character well, who's just like a big racist Louisiana cop, and he's just in it. Oh, yeah. I, got the, I got the fucking drop. You picked the wrong. Uh, that motherfucker's from Oregon. His accent goes all over the place, and I'm like, that's not that's Kentucky. That's I don't know what that is. That's Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> Do just you want to going. hear the accent, listener? You picked the wrong parish to haul ass through, boy. Nobody cuts and runs on Chef G.W. Pepper. And it's him speaking by the by. What's fun is that that actor later did star on the Dukes of Hazard for a season um, as a racist cop. Okay, well, first of all, let's not make fun of everybody's southern U.S. accent in, a, in the context of professional acting, because it is quite <laughs> difficult to do. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's a particularly difficult accent to master, especially on a film set where you have to do it at the last minute. Abby, I'm so looking forward to, 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 your, to your turn as Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Yeah, it's going to be good. Nah. See here. <laughs> but so Bond is being chased by henchmen, including one henchman in a car. And there is a terrifying scene where Sheriff J.W. Pepper, the racist cop, pulls this henchman over. He pulls his gun on him. He calls him boy a lot. He implies that mm-hmm. the henchman stole the car and then he yeah. spits on him. Oh, it's fucked up. This is a fucking terrifying scene. Apparently in 1970, whatever, this is just like fucking played for laughs. And we are yeah, supposed to like, oh, ha ha, this like racist cop who like has his gun in a black man's face. And like, we know now yeah. that this could very easily result in a murder, but it's just played because for we like know that this, We know that the henchman is evil. We're just meant to be like racism. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? Actually, this was the only scene of the entire movie that like kind of resonated for me. I'm like, oh, look, there's something where the black people who have been all cartoonish, despite the best efforts of these fantastic actors, mm. have like some humanity. Never mind. And then I'm like, oh, wait, we're supposed to be on the side of the racist cop. Yeah, it's a joke. We're supposed mm. to be on his side. This black character who I want to I want to flag up again because I accidentally got the name wrong earlier, like an absolute imbecile. He looks a lot like Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. It's basically... If you just imagine what a Black Panther looks yeah. like, that's this character. And he is explicitly evil. Mm-hmm. And he's got a fabulous tweed jacket. Yeah. Oh, he looks phenomenal. <laughs> like, all of the fits in this that aren't worn by Bond do kind of go. There's a, a weird moment where Sheriff J.W. Pepper calls in the boat chase on a radio and he says, We've got a swamp full of black Russians. And I'm, I'm like, Is that a. What? what uh, it- Weird that this boat chase is happening at 4 a.m. Russian time. Mm. Yeah, not quite sure what that's about. Sheriff J.W. Pepper would be a 3%er now. He'd be a Q guy. 100%. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's no way he would have said black. If he was being nice, he yeah. would have said Negro, but he was not being nice. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Yeah, it's not good. So we get we get a series of boat chases with the henchmen are chasing Bond in the boat, and then the state police and the sheriff are chasing them both in cars. We get a bunch of car crashes, and then having like finally like driven through a series of comic sketches of like Southland Reverie, Bond pulls in to find Felix Leiser and the like rest of the cops waiting for him. I would really like to dig a little further into what Chris just said, because that's a phenomenal point, is that this is easily, hands down, one of the most racist movies, frankly, that I've ever watched, not even just the most racist Bond movie. But they never at any point use a racial slur for black people, because it, again, it mirrors that liberal mindset, right? Where racism is a specific act that Mm -hmm. you do and not a, a sense of inherent these people are less than me because of the color Mm. of their skin this movie is racist only in ways that aren't i would i was about to say textual but it's textually extremely racist but they never go to the point where they actually say a racist slur or say anything outright racist yeah well like well i never said the word there is something else here too which is that there's a britishness about it there's a kind of like parochialism that it's like racism is this kind of exotic feature of americans and it's something like potentially very comic that americans do Mm. that is like not really relevant to us because we don't have that sort of thing here it's a form of eccentricity and so it's just something that bond can like sort of quirk an eyebrow at and be like oh that's funny but it's a good it's a good thing it'll never be relevant to me a citizen of of britain there's a scene in one of the comic sketches when they're doing the this interminable boat race where uh Sheriff Pepper has his back to the thing, and he thinks his brother-in-law is coming to chase Bond. And it's not. It's Adam, the black guy who looks like Fred Hampton. And he speeds by. He's like, woohoo! That's my brother-in-law! And the other white people see a black man in the thing, and like all of the look just fades out of their face. And it's completely played for laughs that, uh, oh, he's got a black brother-in-law. That's disgusting. And it, it kind of just is in microcosm, the whole attitude of this movie towards black people. Fucking Ian Fleming is a a white English man, and he wrote this book as sort of like a, oh, isn't it interesting the way that Americans are racist? (laughs) First of all, he was unbelievably Mm. racist. He managed to be racist to white people even. Like, we're talking a fucking nuclear-grade imbecile. (laughs) Sheriff J.W. Pepper gets this sort of comic thing at the end where he, like, gets out of a completely wrecked car and tells Bond... What are you? Some kind of doomsday machine, boy! Fine, whatever. Glad we're never going to see this character yeah, glad again. he's not going to come back in any other films. He had six accents in that one line alone, though. That's impressive. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just saying, know. they're filming in Louisiana. They could have gone out and found a racist <laughs> white person to do that role. Well, you know, sometimes you're filming in a foreign country and you've got to have an actor and you've got to, they've got to learn an accent at the last minute and it's not easy. <laughs> Bond has to go to fucking Santa Monica to uh, rescue Solitaire, who has been captured. I'm just saying it's hard as all. <laughs> Catch Abby showing up in Redacted yeah, in a couple yeah, yeah. years' time, being like, Nah, you see here, boy. <laughs> oh, are you some kind of a doomsday machine? <laughs> Bond goes to the f- the same fucking voodoo ritual place where they killed Bane in the pre-credits thing. It's a very confusing voodoo ritual, by the way. They've got Vevs of Urzalia. Up. They've got like 
I don't really know what's going on. The dancing is on point, but that's because Jeffrey Holder choreographed it. What's going on is they're gonna they're gonna kill her with the snake. She's wearing a the same fucking white dress like Fay Ray and King Kong. She's looking <laughs> whiter, uh, and she's like gonna get tied to a post while the guy with a goat head menaces her with a plastic snake. Right? I would like to pull one specific line that fucking put this shit completely in perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Again. A sovereign nation. Yep. He's going to San Marino. He's gone. He's gone there. And fucking Quarrel, who is on the boat with him. No, it's not Quarrel. It's um Felix Leiter. It's Quarrel Junior and and Felix. Literally says to him, "Happy hunting." Ugh. Which, which you could kind of read that as like a go get them boys. But he is there textually to extrajudicially assassinate at least four black mm. men, all of whom have to be dead for the movie to have ended. So he's just going to this ritual yeah, yeah, yeah. to fucking kill guys. He's not even going to attempt to arrest anyone. Which, of course, is what happens. The guy with the goat head threatens her with the snake and Bond shoots him. Shoots him! Stone Cold dead! This is a, a scene I really had problems with because like, a smug agent of empire shows up on a Caribbean island where a bunch of people with machetes have had a voodoo ceremony. And let me tell you, history suggests mm. that this should not have worked out well for him. Oh, he keeps this crowd of, like, 50 people at bay with a revolver. Like, that's gonna fucking work. My man should have gotten Toussaint Louverture. Yeah. He should have fucking been strung up. Yeah. It should have been a decimated replay. Absolutely. Two guys come at him, he shoots both of them, and then the rest of them are like, oh, well, we don't want anything to do with this. No, thank you. He frees Solitaire. Baron Samedi shows up. Yeah, here's where we get the very weird thing this movie does, where it goes like, maybe voodoo yeah. is real. Yeah, he, he, tr- he tries to shoot Baron Samedi. It's a fucking voodoo doll. He succeeds. He does shoot Baron Samedi. Yeah. You cannot kill death, so he just shows up again. He gets yeeted up out of a grave. But Bond, with his superior Western technology, realizes that this is just like a stage lift. And so he just like hijacks that, runs it down, and he and Solitaire sort of run into this subterranean cavern. After he dispatches in his slow ham-like manner, the chief of the Gedek, the uh, Baron oh, Sobdi, yeah. death himself with like a couple of sluggish moves. Yeah, he beats him in a machete fight. <laughs> Where a six foot eight, like beautiful ballet dancer pirouettes sadly into a, a coffin full of snakes that was just present yeah yeah the, co- the coffin full of snakes that we all have at our, at our various uh digs and dives mm-hmm. of course why not anyway he dies in that um and then they go underground to look it's a ken adams set it's mm-hmm. a good set yeah. he's doing his best they get immediately captured i also got to talk about the henchman fits here which are atrocious mm-hmm. yes not even going back to colored jumpsuits the vibe here is Everybody's wearing jeans, like uh, fucking uh, boat shoes, and red polo shirts with a like a K on them. It's like a mega store outfit. It, it's like the uniform at like I don't know uh, a yeah, giant yeah, yeah. off of Best Buy. He's got a monorail though, and Bond even comments on his underground monorail. He's like, "That's a pretty yeah. sick villain monorail." You should have seen the last underground monorail I saw. Mm-hmm. Terrible. The shit looks way better. I don't think I would let the stage lift to my evil voodoo ceremony mm. also be a back entrance into my underground drug lab. We're in the last little bit, and Yafik also gets to act, mm. right? And in my notes here, I have put in, we were robbed of this guy as Blofeld. Mm. He is having a fantastic time being able to do, like, smart 
inconvenienced, sort mm -hmm. of bored he's like he tells bond to his face like bond's like oh, I, ho I hope your your poppy fields that i just burned down were insured the poppies are very sturdy flower you have been a relatively minor nuisance he he has such a fucking yeah. good line in gloating he's got terry savalas blowfeld energy he's just like i don't give a shit like fuck you the script is terrible, but can provide such mm. a sense of intelligence and quiet dignity into a character mm. that's written as a broad stereotype. Uh, of course, he also manages to take Bond's pistol, which is a shark gun. It fires compressed air, and it just expands something until it explodes. And we get a little joke at Whisper's expense, too, because he makes like he's going to shoot Whisper with it. Instead, he shoots the, the, the sofa that Whisper is sitting on. And it just like expands and knocks the guy off his feet, uh, which is, it's very funny. Again, it's not even played for laughs. It's like, whoop, fat guy falls mm -hmm. over, lol. Fat, fat guy falls over. Lol. Yes. Just treat it so meanly, just as for whisper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the way Kananga's going to kill them is he's going to tie them to a hoist. He's going to like cut Bond's arm. And Bond is like trying to outsmug him the whole time, and it's just not working because Yafet Koto is a better actor. So he's just like Bond says something about drowning, and he's like, "Oh, I very much doubt you'll get the chance to drown." Mm. He the the cutting of Bond's arm is like weirdly sexual. Not sure what that's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are also a lot of yeah. like really close up shots of him grinning, which feel like mm. this is the sort of like phantasm that you're supposed to be scared of here. The other thing about the cutting of Bond's arm is that I don't know what the Foley artist was thinking, but it makes the sound of you drawing a knife across like ceramic. <laughs> yeah, it makes the sound. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. It's like, what's this guy made of, man? Like they're drawing a knife across him and it sounds like when you run it down yeah. fucking like. I Concrete. <laughs> ham! Ham! He's made of ham! I've sliced some ham on Iberico. Kanaga is written like a menstrual character. He's written like uh, the pompous uh, black character who's supposed to be faux intelligent, mm. but really stupid yeah. and arrogant. Yafin Kodo ignores all of that and plays him seriously. Yeah, if, mm. if you'd played to the direction and to the script here, he would have been like, uh, I don't know, one of the fucking congressmen and birth of a nation, right? Mm. <sighs> he dunks Bond over the shark tank and like leaves Bond to bleed while the sharks assemble. Luckily, Bond has fucking established he's got a magic watch. He's got a magic watch. Rolex paid a lot of money. Rolex was not fancy at this time. Uh, certainly not as fancy as they are now. They were just kind of a relatively like middling kind of tool watch manufacturer, but part of the reason why they're so high-end now is because they happen to get on board the Bond train. Mm -hmm. Bond magnets uh, the fucking compressed gas canister for the shark gun over to his wrist. It does not affect anything metal in the mm -hmm. way uh, at all. He pushes a couple of buttons, and the bezel of his watch rotates like a buzzsaw. And this is the point where I want to get unbelievably pissed off at this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been that before in this hour and 20 minutes, but I'm going to do it again. A traditional movie, Clap. right? Clap. A normal fucking movie. Imagine, like, I don't know, read fucking the Sherlock Holmes books, right? I'm going to steal H. Bomber guy's point here. <laughs> he solves problems that he's put in using things that are set up clearly so the audience have a chance to guess how mm -hmm. he would do it. And then if he does it in the way they've guessed, they're going to feel smart. They're going to feel rewarded for having paid attention to the movie. This movie is spitting in your fucking face because both of the gadgets Bond uses to get out of this situation are invented 
at the start of this scene or in the moment, the spinning fucking bezel <laughs> on the watch to use as a saw never comes up before this. You have no way of knowing he would be able to do that. The fucking expanding gas cylinder is invented at the start of this scene and they very hastily insert it into the plot. Fine, whatever, that's set up. But it's like, it, it, it's insulting to the viewer because you have no way of knowing how Bond's going to get out of yeah, this. Yeah, I, I tried to set my watch and I cut my arm off. I just <laughs> had a circular sort of blade in there. <laughs> it's like a dumb man's way of writing a smart man. It's like, oh, this guy knows shit, but you don't even have a fucking chance to know. It's like, wh- it, it, it's it's like Moffat writing Ooh. Ooh. Uh, for fucking Doctor Who. That's a tasty fucking comparison, but I'm here for it. It's like it. It's legitimately like. And this has been discussed a few times on Trash Future, which is the only way Moffat knows how to make a guy look smart is to put him in a bad situation and have him react by being calm. The the movie does exactly that with Bond. They put him in this situation where it's like, man, how's he going to get out? And then he pulls something so far out of his ass. (laughs) Yeah. And again, it's like, oh, I can excuse racism, but bad filmmaking. But like, come on, it's not even a good movie. Uh, the opinions of Devon about celebrated TV writer Stephen Moffat do not necessarily have any opinions about Pierre Bond. <laughs> They're the opinions of the podcast. Thank you. Bond frees himself, and we have to get one last joke at Whisper's expense, right? Whisper sees what is happening. He tries to warn his boss, but his boss can't hear him because he can't shout. So He's wearing AirPods. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Whisper just whispers, watch out, and then gets kicked into a fucking torpedo for smuggling heroin uh, and, and sealed in yeah. there, where I, I presume that doesn't kill him. I presume he just suffocates or whatever. That's, well, to be fair, like I, I read the, the Bond wiki mm. article about Whisper to see what the basic consensus of the Bond fandom was about what happens to Whisper after that. God, imagine being part of the Bond fandom. <laughs> Fuck, imagine making a podcast about James Bond. Insane. Ridiculous. No, thank you. And essentially, what, what the audience agrees on, which was my interpretation, is that Whisper is specifically put into an airtight container mm-hmm. because he is unable to call for help. Like he's just gonna die in there, even if there are like guys in the fucking yep. uh, the yep. set cleaning up afterwards. He's just gonna die in there because he's disabled, and it's funny that he's disabled. <laughs> he can't shout, and he needs to be punished. Yeah, I was gonna say he can bang, although I, I assume they also think mm. he's too fat to bang because uh, he's about the yeah. same dimensions as the torpedo. It's the most contempt I've ever seen a character treated with, legitimately. It's about to get worse, cause. Hell yeah. He fights Kananga with a knife. Oh yeah. They both go into the water, and Bond kills Kananga by forcing the compressed air cylinder into his mouth, causing him to expand into a balloon and explode. Imagine spending all of your time trying to provide a sense of intelligence and dignity into this crass, stupid caricature, only to die like a Kaliwag Baruch assault. I was so mad. Yeah, dude, the second the second that they set up that fucking expanding air calendar, I was like, oh my mm. god, they're going to inflate this guy. They're going to inflate this motherfucker. They have the sharks right there. He was going to kill John Bond with the sharks. That would be fine. That would be him hoisted by his own petard. But no. He just has to get inflated. Because Bond has to say he has an inflated opinion of himself. Oh, I uh. hate this man. Also, why did yeah. he float? It was just compressed air, right? 
It wasn't helium. I assume because there must have been an original draft of the script where he referred to him as uppity. As in, yeah. like, literally going up. Oh, and then someone oh was just like, Christ. no, no. <laughs> Bond has now assassinated a head of state. This is fine. Yeah, just killed a prime minister. <laughs> bombed, bombed his island as well. Mm-hmm. Bombed his island. Killed a bunch of his people. Cool. Cool, normal. Fine. The, the, he and Solitaire escape on the monorail. And then we smash cut back to New Orleans, <laughs> where he and Solitaire are going to take the train back to New York so that they can fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's explicitly the reason why. Is like, what do you get? What F- Felix Lice is like, what are you going to do on a train for 16 hours? A man comes. <laughs> now, I got to talk about the Kronstein rosette for mm-hmm. this movie. And I want to give okay. the Kronstein rosette to Teehee because we get one last scene because we're not done with this movie yet. Now, Teehee's boss has been killed, emphatically killed. Mm-hmm. Everyone who knew who he was or what his deal is has been killed. His drug lab and his alligator and crocodile farm have been burned to the ground. At this point, I would find a new job. Mm-hmm. I would get on Hench. Yeah, I'd log on to Indeed. Also, like, what about the political chaos that Santa Monica's in? Yeah. He could take advantage of that. T he could become the new prime minister. Instead, and this is why he's the he gets the Kronstein Rosette, because he has a loyalty beyond the call of duty, and he is he has initiative. He sneaks himself aboard the train that Bond and Solitaire are on, and he tries to kill Bond. He fails, sadly. Cool, yeah, he, d- he does fail. And of course, the way that he fails is he has the, his disability used against him. Mm-hmm, Bond mm-hmm. snips the lines of his, his, his artificial arm, forcing it to, like, clamp onto the, the window of the train, and then Bond kicks him out of the train. Mm-hmm. James Bond, deviation from the norm will be That's punished, right. and mm-hmm. gleefully so. We don't get out of it that easily because there is one final shot that this movie has to has to do, which is voodoo real question mark <laughs> on the front of the train, just sitting on the front of the locomotive. It's fucking Baron Samdi, who we thought was dead. Yeah, making him one of the only Bond villains to survive. That's right, uh, because he just you know he's too powerful to kill because voodoo is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, Put him on the list with Irma. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, but I want I want fan art of Baron Samdi and Irma Bunt just hanging out. I want that buddy comedy. Mm. Just on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not ground ice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the movie. That's, that's the movie. Two hours. Two hours of Bond movie of the the most racist one. I got nothing. You know, I. D- <sighs> this movie. Is is uh-huh. n- not only racist. Like obviously, it's racist. We know that. We knew that from the fucking start. It's live and let die. They made this movie because they were like, "Damn, the Black Panthers are really getting some political capital. What if we were like black people? Bad <laughs> question mark. Yeah. Like the movie is bad, right? It's badly made. It's written by a outright fucking mm-hmm. racist. I will destroy Mankovich. But it's also fucking boring. <laughs> it's. Boring as fuck to watch. And uh, at the conclusion of this, I've said before on the podcast, I watched these with my partner. At the conclusion of this, I felt so bad about having made her watch this fucking movie that I'm like, I'm just going to do this on my own from here on out, man. (laughs) Like, she was just like, it's the same movie. It's the same movie every fucking time. It overstays the third act. It badly caricatures the culture that it's a part of. There's a fucking smug bastard who just goes like, ooh, shocking. And then it's like, there's there's no Racism. sense of resolution. Yeah. 
the movie sucks. It's bad. Fuck this. I hate you. Yeah. There's a couple of good shots, like in the boat chase, there's some good stunts and it's like, oh, wow, that must have been like quite difficult to do. And it's cool that they did it. And uh, I mean, other than that, there's not a lot going for Why is there a wedding at a swamp? I don't know. But like the bit where they jump, <laughs> the bit where they jump the cars in the speedboat, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I like, guess. Aside from the fact that it's like 40 minutes of that shit. Yeah. It, 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 it so outstays as well from so much. I... Oh, it's so long. We spend more time with J.W. Pepper and his nine accents than we do with Baron Saab. Mm-hmm. Before before I get to our, our, our patented rating system, do we have any thoughts about either this movie or Roger Moore? Because we got a lot of Roger Moore to get through. Mm-hmm. I, for one, am fucking hating it so far. I hate them more with my life. It's strange the way in which he is... He's so vicious... But mm. unlike Connery, who just like plays it as like, yeah, I get what I want, and like that's the charm. He plays it as if like it's more sinister in that he is also vicious and murderous. But he plays it as if it's like, but I'm actually really nice, and it's like, yeah. Ugh. I think in particular, one thing I said to you when we were watching this is that Bond has always been kind of a uh, a kind of raw, raw British mm. British Empire sure. like. Fantasia. But this in particular is the first one I saw where it was also a white supremacy Fantasia. Like, there's some in Doctor No, but it's like background. It's like, oh, this is just the natural state of things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, Doctor No is racist as hell, and like, all of the Jamaicans are childlike, right. and he doesn't even bother to fuck the incredibly mm. gorgeous black woman in that movie. But it, it's completely different than this, where it is like every bad spar- stereotype you could think of crammed into. What felt like twelve hours of movie. I'm so sorry I made you watch this with me. Uh, <laughs> it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's not great. I'll be honest with you. On this podcast, we have a, a highly patented uh, system. We have a science-based system on this podcast. We do. <laughs> Very far. It's, it's a bad movie. We might have buried the lead so far by not. <laughs> we have an evidence-based system for classifying the gender of this movie. <laughs> And we, we call it the SCUM system. It stands for SMUM, Cultural Insensitivity, <laughs> Unprovoked Violence, and Misogyny. So, I anticipating... A man scums. A man scums. Anticipating a high answer. Mm. Out of a possible seven, negotiable. 20, 20, 20, 20. <laughs> SMUM. Vision. Fuck this. I hate this man. He is the smarmiest bard. He is oily. He's the smarmiest... <laughs> Smartest gun I've ever fucking seen. Oh! I don't think this is the smarmiest he gets, though. I don't want to give it. I don't want to give it a full seven. Yeah, because more does get worse. Oh, is it? Not? I think we should start with a baseline of maximum and go seven. Yeah. Oh, it gets worse. Yeah. Than this. It might do. He's only going to get older. I don't think he's smarmier <laughs> in this than than Goldfinger, which was a seven. I want to give it a six for Smarm. Mm. No, I agree with that. I'll go seven. I'll go seven. I, d- I don't. I definitely don't think it's less smarmy than Goldfinger. No. So two sevens and okay. a six. Okay. All right, seven it is. Roll into ten. <laughs> Fucking twelve. Fourteen. I don't know, man. <laughs> Twenty-four thousand. <laughs> Unable to put a fucking yeah. number to this. You know, Voodoo's actually a religion. Yeah, yeah, and well, he he blasphemes. Is it. this more or less culturally insensitive than You Only Live Twice? Way what? more, way more. In that case, it's got to be a nine because You Only Live Twice was a was a was an eight. So this is a nine out of seven. Okay, perfect. That, yeah, that, 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 that makes sounds sense right. To me. That sounds right to me. Unprovoked violence. 
He puts a gun in a woman's face mm-hmm. for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, this guy's way more on the unprovoked violence scale than Conry or Laser the ever Which were. is insane, because you think of Roger Moore as being like the like kind of comedy Bond, but mm-hmm. no, absolutely not. He's not though of Inspector Fang Sing Ling, but he's, <laughs> he's pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> this island's got a small population, who's getting through him fast? No, I, mm, I, I would be willing to see like a five or a six for this. Yeah, uh, Goldfinger was a six. I'd say this is slightly less unprovoked violence than Goldfinger. Yeah, slightly less. So how about a, how about a five then? A five, a five works for me. Now misogyny. misogyny. There's misogynoir in here. That's true. It's, miso- it's misogynoir. The line where he's like, "Well, I wouldn't have done it before." Mm-hmm. Again, which. <laughs> Which viscerally hit me, and you might have heard that on the recording. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, holy fuck! I'm kind of still comparing it to our sort of our high watermark for for the the evil of James Bond is still Goldfinger for me. Mm-hmm. And since Goldfinger shows a flat out, explicit textual rape by force, mm-hmm. corrective. I think that it has to be lower than Goldfinger, but not by much. Uh, Goldfinger answer. was an eight on misogyny. <laughs> I would see seven. Yeah, because the thing about the Goldfinger, and I'm obviously all forms of sexual assault are equally heinous, but like the fact that Goldfinger is forced, mm-hmm. whereas all of these are manipulative, yeah. obtained uh, consent through deception, it's not as textually and openly misogynist mm-hmm. as Goldfinger. So yeah, I would see a seven. But where does that leave? Live and let die. Theme song does kind of go though. It does indeed, but unfortunately, that doesn't gain it any more points, and it is uh, sitting pretty. At 28, the worst one we have watched so far. That sounds right to me. That sounds um, absolutely correct mm. to me. By a way as well, Goldfinger was only a 23. But this is the worst one we've seen. This is the worst one so far. Bow. Bow. Uh, an incredible start for Roger Moore. Yeah. I wanted to ju- just to say thank you for being able to discuss this with, with the three of you. This feels like I've excised a demon <laughs> that I've been thinking about for quite some time. Yeah. I am writing my novel right now, which like features the Loa very prominently. And so every time like voodoo comes up, I'm just rolling my eyes and like gritting my teeth. And I'm like, that's the wrong Vev. And I'm like, why would you offer that? Wait, that's a symbol of Dumbala. <laughs> <laughs> let's. I mean, let's segue that, Chris. Where can the people find you? What do you do? I write fiction and science fantasy. Um, I've got a lot of short stories at Uncanny Magazine, which is uncannymag.com. You can search by me my name by Christopher Caldwell, and my Twitter at, although I am currently suspended for a really stupid reason, is at Sarah seventy six. <laughs> you were suspended for owning British. <laughs> it might be worth hours. getting into the stupid. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Block Party. You, you were suspended because you talked about how biscuits you eat a, a like a biscuit like a scone hot out of the oven, and they suspended you for threats of like violence or self harm. So it was self-harm, yes, because I don't know, eating a southern biscuit warm, the way you're supposed to do is apparently like... Mm. I did say you eat it hot from the oven, but I did not imply that you need to stick <laughs> your head in the oven to eat it. I feel like that's what must have been flagged, but it, it, it's a ridiculous oh. thing to be suspended over. I, I'm sure it was the word oven. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening, listener. We will be back with a bonus episode, Subject TBD, and then Roger Moore will return against our protests <laughs> in... Fuck, what is the next one? 
Man with a golden gun. It's Scaramanga, baby. Oh, fuck, with the fucking... Oh, Christopher God. Lee. Add more J.W. Pepper. It's the solar shit. I used to love this one as a kid. I'd be interested to see whether it holds up. It does not hold up. It <laughs> will not. Let's find out. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of Kill James Bond. This podcast can only survive thanks for generous contributions of our patrons. First and foremost among them are our 15 pounds and above patrons, who are the beautiful Jack Holmes, Paint McCullough, Amanda Rugda, Nikki, Field Commissar, Jen Jen, Kentucky Fried Commie, Amanda Comet, Jack Bushel, Larry Kins, Timothy Pajorni, Josh Simmons, Elizabeth Cox, Alfredo, Raul Leal, Jonas Schwamberger, Zoe Shepard, and Robbie Morgan. I had to breathe in twice during reading that list, and that fills me with a joy the likes of which I have never experienced. Thank you, of all of my heart. Kill James Bond will return in two weeks' time for The Man with the Golden Gun. But if that is simply too long to wait, our aforementioned Patreon will get an episode next week starring friend of the show, the inventor of parasocial relationships, Shannon Strucci, to talk about the movie Lupin the Third, the first. Kill James Bond stars Alice, Abby, and Devon. Our producer is Nate Bethay, and our podcast art is by Matt Lipchansky. See ya.